Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Danny, the monk on a motorbike, and this show is all about happiness, mindfulness, community, and other lovely stuff. In this first series, you'll hear inspiring, heartwarming, and sometimes difficult stories from people who've overcome mental and emotional health problems using mindfulness and gone on to thrive in the world. My first guest is an old friend of mine, Rachel, who's an artist, a very successful potter, and a mother of two. I hope you'll enjoy her story. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me about all your mindfulness stuff. That's lovely. Great. And I wonder if you can tell everybody a little bit about yourself. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Rachel and I live in Brighton by the sea. Have done for 20 years now. Um, I'm a very busy mother of two. Um, I have my own pottery business. I make my pots. I sell oh. them. And I also run the studio space where my studio is. Uh, don't have much time for myself most of the time, so mindfulness is very important to me. You're teaching poetry as well, aren't you? Yeah, so I teach um, twice a week. I have students, sorry, beginners to intermediate that mm -hmm. I teach pottery to, um, which is great. Um, they get a lot out of it, not just pots at the end but actually how they feel when they've been making is very important aspect yeah I don't think they realize that it's yeah. mindfulness um but yeah it's definitely a therapy of sorts for them and they leave in a very different way to when they arrived and is, is that is that something you've you've deliberately added in there or is that just it's just a result of what goes on or definitely just a result of what happens i don't think you need to add anything actually i think clay is actually well known for its therapy um i've actually found books on people using it as therapy really? yeah yeah so i think um like many of the arts i think are used as therapy so it's it's because it's all consuming i think you get so caught up in what you're doing I guess like a meditation, there's mm. that level of concentration, mm. isn't there? You're really absorbed and it's creative, so it's focusing on something very positive, isn't it? Absolutely, and that's that's the word. You're completely absorbed by it. So it's it's, it's interesting because you, um, you just silence descends on the room at a certain point and there's an inclination to want to fill that silence, but I don't because actually what that silence means is that everybody is just absorbed with what they're doing. And you know that then all their troubles and worries and thoughts and planning and everything else is just gone from their mind and that they're just completely absorbed by their task. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So it's great. I, you know, that for me is quite a joy watching my students experience mm. that. And they all leave with a big smile on their face going, Oh, see you next week. <laughs> they can't wait. So, And they're, and they're actually saying they're, they're sort of finding things out about themselves. Yeah. Um, they definitely all have noticed it at some point. So I teach in six week periods and my students always notice at some point um, how they feel and how, that they feel different at the end of a lesson as to when they first arrived. So that's even in a short period of time. So the lessons are two hours long and it goes over a period of six weeks. Um, so they, yeah, at some point throughout that, workshop they will have noticed and mentioned it to me or to someone else 
how they feel and that they feel different or that they really look forward to their Tuesday evenings where they can, um, it's not escaping, but where they're coming to let go of everything else and just have that time for themselves, which they, they struggle with to find. And th- th- they're, they're noticing how they're feeling sort of on, a, on an ongoing basis or just during the, during the session? Um, I suppose I haven't really asked them about that. Um, but I think it, it does have a cumulative effect. So, so I'm saying, yeah. do, 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 they're getting greater self-awareness. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, well, definitely. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think they do. Um, I mean, the fact is they are noticing how they feel because of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't always notice that, but they're very aware of it and mm-hmm. how much they look forward to that because they know that it's of benefit to them in their everyday life. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great to watch that. And it's great because I know from my own practice how much that means to me. Mm. And so you're kind of basically providing a space for people to experience that as well. You know, they get to make beautiful ashtrays. Yeah. So to, how, how did you get into mindfulness? Because you've been doing it for a while now, haven't you? Yeah. So I've been doing it for six, seven years. So I found mindfulness after I had a breakdown about, yeah, seven years ago. Um, I was doing a PhD in psychology and I had two very young children. Um, And I was in my final stages of writing up and I, that was it. I just, I just broke down one day and couldn't, couldn't do anymore. Um, Didn't understand what I was doing um how I was doing it I just couldn't function basically found it very hard to get out of bed yeah just cried a lot um I woke up crying in the middle of the night one night and it was kind of like I couldn't understand what I was doing with my life anymore and how I could do it anymore and just this feeling of being exceedingly overwhelmed by everything like being consumed by a giant wave of my life (laughs) basically um and just fear, a lot of fear. Um, so I just had to stop everything. Um, I felt quite panicky. Um, and yeah, it's quite um, quite isolating feeling as well. Um, you feel very distant from everybody. Um, nothing quite makes sense in the way it once used to. Um, so yeah, you're seeing the world through very different eyes and it's quite, yeah, it was, it was very difficult time for me, really. Well, was there um, a build up to it or was it literally woke up in the night when you'd had enough? Well, I think the build up is, it's a very different feeling. I think it, you become quite intense and you get very, I was very busy. I was very active. So I had two very young kids. I was doing my PhD. I was also involved in making workshops with Willow, um, helping friends. And I think my activity was just getting more intense I was just doing more um and so I think in that respect when I look back I was thinking god I never seemed to have any time out I was just constantly doing things um and yeah I don't think there was any you know I just woke up in the middle of the night I might have mentioned to John I might have been John's your partner yeah John's my partner sorry that I was 
struggling a bit or thinking it was a bit much, but just kind of went, oh, no, I'm probably fine. I'm just, you know, <laughs> a difficult, you know, piece of work. I'm sure it'll be fine. And, yeah, I didn't really think anything of it. Um, but this is what hindsight is. You can look back and sort of notice the signs. Yeah, but... you were just doing so much. You were covering up. Yeah, that, you know, you yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what you do, isn't it? It's almost an act of... Um, denial you're distracting yourself from what's going on underneath so by being busy and constantly doing stuff I never had any time to sit down or be quiet and actually see what was going on underneath because I was constantly doing stuff so um so yeah it did just hit me like a sledgehammer I think it was towards it was just before Christmas one year I think and I just woke up um and that was it and I really I really um just remember waking up and I cried for a very long time you know I'm talking I woke up in the middle of the night and was still crying during the day it was a long period of crying where nothing made sense and, and I was very confused um and because my partner John had experienced a breakdown um years before me so we're talking about 15 years before 15 years ago he experienced it he could see what was happening when it was happening and sort of said, okay, well, these are things that we can do. Um, we'll just contact your supervisor and we'll just put everything on hold and we'll just work out a plan. And, um, yeah, so basically, yeah, well, I stopped my PhD and um, had to look after the kids. But I also realized that I needed something else. Um, and I didn't want to go down the medical route. Um, I, I try not to, if at all possible, I didn't want drugs and I didn't want CBT because I, as a psychologist, I'd learned a lot about it and realized that that wouldn't help me. I didn't think it was more than a breakdown for me. It was quite a, a almost a spiritual experience. And so I went to the... Buddhist center center and found out about the MBSR course. Oh, the, the mindfulness based yeah. reduction. The eight yeah. Course. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I um, they suggested I did an introduction to mindfulness course first, which I did. What What did that involve? Um, basically, I'd never meditated before, mm. and so it was a six to eight week course where they just taught you the very this is the introduction yeah, yeah okay. it was a yeah just introducing you to practice of meditation and what mindfulness is um and what it can bring to your life um and i remember the first um class um feeling very nervous actually because because of having a breakdown you you do suffer with, you know, the depression and the thoughts and um, being a bit scared to sit on my own with my own thoughts. Um, but I did chat to the guy, uh, the leader, um, and he he just he was very reassuring. Um, but because it was an introduction, it only um, it wasn't going to touch on anything too heavy or um didn't need to be worried or concerned so yeah so basically the six to eight week course was just to introduce me to sitting and some techniques and also walking meditation um body scan and some chanting um 
And I think we did a bit of Qigong actually as well, which was really good. So a bit of movement, which actually was really lovely. I remember really feeling that really helped balance out the sitting, having not spent a lot of time sitting like that before. It was really helpful. So what was it? Was it awareness of the breath or the thoughts? Yeah, it so it was um, introduced you introduced us to the awareness of breath and then also to noticing noticing what we what was going on so whether we were um just thoughts about planning or um what sort of thoughts we had but but kind of maybe even attaching a label to them and then letting them go so almost he i think there was a an image of a river and watching things float away was was quite a nice visualization a visualization technique that was offered um but we could you know choose which whatever technique we wanted but it was a a very helpful technique i Mm. thought actually because you were then able to see things moving away which is a form of letting go so yeah so and obviously during the work during the um introduction workshop we had to do homework so we had to come home and create a daily practice so because of what I was experiencing, I felt a, I felt a big need to find the time to do that. And I did. And I think actually that's what's really important about mindfulness is the daily practice. Um, because you get so much from the cumulative effect of practicing. That's what I found during that period was actually how you felt after practicing for a whole week, not just after the first so the, time the, you sit the yeah the there, regularity yeah. Yeah. um so yeah so it was it was after the introduction that i then did the mbsr which was really helpful so what's the because what's the difference between the mbsr because the introductions are not like covering the same ground yeah so um i think because it was more um based on um people who had suffered from depression and anxiety um so i guess it because it was focused on that the the questions that arose from it were more focused and centered around that whereas the introduction people were coming for all sorts of all sorts of reasons um and some of them um were just people that had maybe found buddhism or were just wanting you know for whatever reason i suppose maybe they'd been traveling and met someone or um so the mbsr course was more based for people who had suffered from depression or anxiety or so, form so, of so it was, stress it was much about their input what they were asking that was the yeah. difference rather than the techniques that what yeah saying? so the yeah. techniques were quite similar yeah. but it was more what you can do so I know there was one point where I was faced with fear, fear of sitting. And I remember going to one class with the MBSR and it was, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, the class was about, but I I had this sense of feeling like, oh no, I'm not sure I want to sit because I think I want to, I'm going to have to think about that. And that's quite, yeah, yeah, quite scary. And so a lot of it was dealing with those potential fears um, and how we can sit with scary things and actually notice how, what the, what happens that they don't actually stay it is you know transient um it, but you only know that from actually facing your fear and sitting and meditating so so that's just a more focused group i think um techniques are similar but you're kind of taking a subset of people who meditate who have similar
similar issues. So it's a more safe environment for people to talk out about what they've experienced. Because there is a lot of, um, even today, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health issues. So, so to be within a safe environment of people having experienced similar things, I think that's why there was a separation um, for people wanting to meditate with, it, with other people um, of shared experiences, really. So, yeah, but it, I found um, <clears throat> that it was, yeah, it was very beneficial for me as an individual. Um, it helped with my mood. It helped um, me realize, I think the main thing I took from it was um, that things do change, that whatever we're feeling will go. Um, some things might stick around for longer, but but they don't last and it doesn't make us who we are. Um, and also that it's okay as well. So it's okay to feel what we feel. And I think that was one of the main things that I took away from it as well was actually it's, you notice an emotion, it's something that we feel and actually it's allowed, it's okay to feel that but we don't have to hold on to it. So there's a sense of acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really, really important, especially when you're dealing with with someone who's had a breakdown or depression. That was very important for me to be able to process it and move through it. Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible, actually. And I felt it was a very spiritual experience for me. And I have heard people talk about breakdowns that's the medical model term for it, the, you know, the medical word for what you experience. But I've heard a lot of people talk about it as a spiritual awakening. Awakening. So the two are the same, but it's just a different way of viewing it. You mentioned that earlier. So how, how would you... What, well, I felt it's, interest, it's interesting. So I was having the breakdown, but I felt spiritually very alive and awake and very connected to everything and everyone and it's almost as if you have no filters anymore which is part of the problem for people who have a breakdown you're very sensitized but it's almost as if you're connected to everything which is exceedingly overwhelming which is probably where that comes from but also very beautiful but also very beautiful because you suddenly see the world in a very different way so it's it's how it's whether you can tap into that or not. And I guess it's not always like that, but sometimes I definitely had the experience of feeling very connected to the people, to the trees, to the land, to nature, and very spiritually awake. Connected in what way? Um, connected in the sense of understanding and feeling close to, I suppose, because that's something that I very much feel in England especially, because there's so many people and so many buildings and so many cars, that we've lost our closeness to the land. And I think that definitely came out of that for me was a sense of feeling connected, feeling close to and part of rather than not being a part of. And I think that's a problem with depression is the isolation and feeling disconnected. So it was almost you're in this space where you're disconnected but you can feel very connected at the same time it's quite an I was odd gonna say, sensation you, you sound like you had two things going on at the same time <clears throat> yeah something very definitely difficult and dark but mm. also something very wonderful very and very light and also very opposed yes very connected yeah. and disconnected yeah. so quite a weird 
It is. It was very strange, but it was very... Um, I'm not sure whether it's... I would have felt that if I hadn't have been doing the meditation, whether that really helped ground me and connect me or whether it is something I would have experienced anyway. But were you feeling it before you started the mindfulness? Were you noticing that sense of sensitization? Or? No, and I and I definitely... It was just darkness. It was, was it? yeah, yeah. So I think it is, it is for me, it's definitely connected. Um, and one of the experiences of, of meditating over a long period of time for me was this sense of being able to let go of my physical boundaries of my body when you sit. So... Um, most of the time I know where I am in space and time because I can sense my body. And sometimes um, when I've sat for long periods, um, well, not for long, I only ever sit for 40 minutes is my maximum. But if I've done that over a period of time for a number of days and weeks, then I can have this sense of losing that that boundary, which is a really nice sensation <laughs> because it feels like you're more connected with everything, that you are not, aside from everything, you are part of. Inside, we all want to feel is a part of something. And I think that's where a lot of the loss and disconnect comes from is because we don't feel that in our everyday life. And I'm just, I'm intrigued by this spiritual thing because there's, there's often in a lot of spiritual paths, they say you've got to have this period of disillusion, this bit where everything kind of comes apart and you have to stop seeing the world in a certain way, really, isn't it? Before you can open up and go, oh, maybe there is something different. Mm. Do, do, you, do you think it opened up? Do you think without, do you think that sort of sounds true in your case? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's giving yourself the opportunity, isn't it, to. Um, I mean, I was trying to heal myself because I realized something had, it felt like something had broken, that I couldn't carry on living the way I was living. So I had to find another way. I had to find another way to exist because I had little kids to look after and I had myself to look after and I had a family that I was a very important part of. So I needed to be well to be a part of that family. Um, so I had to find another way to exist, not to exist, to live in order to do that, um, because how I had been living just clearly didn't work for me anymore. So, um, and I'm not sure if I would have found it without the mindfulness and the meditation. Um, that definitely helped bring that to the forefront quite quickly. I mean, I've always felt that I was, I'm a spiritual person and have always been a spiritual person in the sense that there's something bigger than all of us or that we're all connected. Um, but that definitely took me right there, it felt like. And I do remember my teacher, <clears throat> and we called him Kay, and he just Kay, come... Okay. Kay. Um, and he came, he'd just come back from um, a retreat overseas. And honestly, the second time I was taught by him, it was like there was a light shining out of him. And I've never met anyone where I've experienced that before. And I was quite blown away by it. And I, it was almost like I had to touch someone and go, can you see that? <laughs> can you see could they? what I'm seeing? No. And so it was obviously just something that it was like he was glow, not glowing as in, you know, but there was light emanating from him. So he was clearly very... Um, 
connected to something that I could see. Um, but there was a lot of, there was openness about him and gentleness and kindness. And he felt very safe to be around. So I knew that I was where I needed to be in order to carry on what I was learning and looking for. But um, your question about finding there being another path and the spiritual path, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And But I think in in our society, people have different words for it. Um, I know my partner, John, wouldn't agree with the terminology I was using, but he would say that, yeah, there are there are paths and we all find our own way through it. And what might be my spiritual path, which might be meditating, he might find when he's out on a bike ride on his mountain bike in the countryside would be his form of mindfulness and meditation. And that would be his spiritual path. So um, I think it's out there for everyone. It's just very personal. Um, but this definitely, um, definitely struck a chord with me. <clears throat> did, did you go for any therapy or anything? No, I'd never, um, no, I, I tell a lie. I did actually go and my doctor um, got me on a CBT course and I did go because I just wanted to see if, what I thought was right about the medical model and about what I'd been experiencing. And um, I went and did it and I actually walked out of my first lesson because it, I think because my breakdown had happened when I was in academia, um, I went to do this course and it was in this building and it was in a classroom setup it was like an office building and there were desks and there was a whiteboard this and it was CBT. yeah this oh, is the right. cbt yeah, therapy yeah. and it was very hard and you know the lights were really bright and i suddenly just felt um i had all all the negative emotions that i'd associate with my breakdown they were just started to come flooding back into my body and i just thought oh my god is this therapy is this supposed to be helping me yeah yeah and i just thought actually this is the wrong place for me and at least i could recognize that um and i just said look actually i think i need to go because i'm feeling a bit panicky I'll, I'll get back to you and you know do this another time and actually the feedback i sent them was actually about it being quite a harsh environment for people who'd had a breakdown for whatever reason um whatever their reasons were, that it needed to have a bit more heart in the therapy. Sorry so, yeah, even if it was, even if they had to use that room, you know, couldn't they have got rid of the desks and had some comfy chairs and bean bags, you know, a bit more subdued lighting, something to make it a bit warming and more caring. Because actually in that state, that is exactly what you need. Whatever the therapy, you just need a warmer environment. Um, so I didn't go back and finish the course because I knew that actually everything I needed was at the Buddhist center with the mindfulness and the meditation and at home. Um, and after the, after the courses had finished, I found, um, my own people to meditate with, um, on a regular basis. At the center? No, um, it was a friend of mine. Um, once I'd started talking about what was going on in my life she opened up and said that she also meditated and for what reasons and we set up a um it was a weekly um meditation group which was just her and I and sometimes other people would join us and we'd do it at my house or at her house or in the garden or at the allotment 
um, wherever wherever was available, you know, depending on the weather. And um, it helped us because we would then go and have our own practice during the week and we would meet up once a week and, yeah, practice together, which was have our own sangha, which was really, really important. Really. Yeah, it was really good. And necessary, actually. So having experienced the breakdown, um, not to just suddenly feel better. I mean, it took months, you know, if not over a year to feel better. So to carry the meditation and the mindfulness through and not just stop because I felt better. Because actually, that's the whole idea, isn't it? Is to feel well and keep feeling well um, and not to just use it like the medical model as a plaster <laughs> when uh, when I'm not well quick do that that'll make you feel better actually use it as a a way of living <clears throat> and but one of the things that I had concern about was fitting it into my life with kids and the growing demands of my children as they grew and time time being very precious to me and one of my teachers actually said well it's okay if you recognize that you can't sit for long periods every day because you can build mindfulness into your life in lots of other ways. So until that time, if you have the intention of sitting, until the time you can sit, find another way of practicing mindfulness. So whether it's every time you do the dishes, you have that moment to focus on your breath and really get absorbed by what you're doing or whatever you find throughout your day, brushing your teeth, walking the dog, um, or a chore, or even something that you do with your work, but finding a point where you can have that experience. <clears throat> and then it's there, and it's always there, and then you will get to sitting when the time is right, when you have the space. And so, did you manage, did you do that? Is that, is that how you so that's still it? what I do. Mm. Um, I still have the mindfulness. I actually have it in my pottery, but I also have it with things that I do in the house. So it, it changes. It's not always the same thing for me. So it's when I'm cooking a meal or when I'm doing the dishes or at the moment I'm looking after a, a neighbor's dog so it's when I'm out walking I'll spend some of that time I slow down my walking and I'm just very focused on my environment immediately around me and I'm just very aware of the wind on my cheek or the warmth of the sun on my face so it's just bringing it right back to so something quite a, small physical sensation a physical sensation yeah so something in the body that you yeah can that I can like be grounded by so so yeah and that's actually really good for me to have it and it's just in something in my day and if you're doing this say the cooking i'm interested in the details of how you do so say you're cooking how, how would you be mindful when you're cooking what so you when do? i'm cooking it can be um from the very small um detail of slicing a vegetable the smell a lot of the cooking is about the smells for me when i'm cooking and being mindful um, and and how the objects feel in my hands. So again, it is about the physical nature of what I'm doing and how that can ground me and just really bring me into what I'm doing to be absorbed by the process. And also the sensory aspect <clears throat> with the smell. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was a, actually a real relief when the teacher said that, that you can have mindfulness in your life without necessarily sitting and meditating. 
Um, but my intention is to sit more and especially to introduce my children to it. Um, because actually as they're growing now and my oldest is nearly a teenager, I actually really realise how much of a benefit it will be to them and especially to get them to be doing it now before they actually probably really need it. <laughs> so it's actually in their life and they don't have to really question it or think about it too much and it can just become part of what they do. Um, have you talked to them about it? I have talked to it. Um, with both of them and they're both up for it so it's yeah I just think we need to do it and is it what you would teach them yourself or you find someone yeah I think what, you... what I'll do is um, I will find some small five minute um, led um, meditations on the internet but I'll also do my own because I think it's quite nice for them if they hear my voice and a way that I want the way I practice can come through with them and they can learn from a few different people learn different things some of them can be a body scan get them to think about their bodies and how different parts of their bodies are feeling because actually that's always a real help for me when you actually do a body scan and notice different parts of your body and how they're feeling and it can really help you think about how you're feeling um, yourself and so for me, a lot of it at the moment with my children would be about just taking that moment to check in and see how we are and have that time. Because obviously with children and busy lives, you actually don't always make that time just to check in and go, are we OK? <laughs> are you OK? Am I OK? Are we OK? Um, and it's also, I think, a comment that I've heard a few times, which I think is quite relevant, quite valid, is that you know, we're taught lots about mathematics and how to run a business at school, but we're given nothing about how to handle our emotions and how to handle the stresses oh and strains. Gosh, so yeah. to give them that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And in a sense, it's um, it should all come from the school environment because it's this is the issue I have with schools at the moment is not just that. it's it's They don't teach them about the physical side of their body. They just teach them to sit and shovel information into the brain. But actually what they're not teaching them is that the brain is, is part of the body and we need to keep the body healthy too. Um, and so, and, and then... Uh, so that means lots of physical activity but then the brain and the body there's also the spirit and we need to keep that healthy too which is where the meditation the mindfulness can come in so it's it's the whole being and we haven't quite got that yet in our western education i think we're slowly getting there because I, I, I do know that some people have introduced um, yoga and meditation into schools and actually some schools have gone even further and instead of punishing their children with detentions they actually make them sit and do yoga and meditation yeah. and what they find is that kids suddenly um, not suddenly but over time become better behaved more focused and then there's less need for punishment but actually the punishment isn't really there as a punishment anymore the kids want to do it so it's kind of one of those lovely self-fulfilling prophecies in a sense isn't it where you give them something and then actually everyone realizes it's very needed and and actually people want to do it so i was talking to somebody from mind you know the mental yes. health charity and she was saying that the highest rate of suicide or sort of death in the country, young, you know, people under 25 or something from mm. depression and suicide because they just don't have the wherewithal to know how to process, mm. you know, modern living. Absolutely. And it's um, it's quite scary that it's actually happening in a lot of our university-aged children. There's a lot of pressure 
not only to perform well academically, but to perform well socially. So to be really good at everything throughout your whole life. And actually, you actually need to have time out. You know, you need to relax. You need to have space for yourself. But they're not taught that. They're taught to um, yeah, work really hard and then party really hard. And, you know, it's no wonder there's burnout and depression and suicide in young people because actually no one can maintain that. And you only learn that through life and experience. But actually, we never, I'm not sure we ever did that when we were younger. So it is a very modern phenomenon, unfortunately, and definitely something that can be addressed through these techniques and ways of living. Um, so, but to get it into our kids at a younger age, to have it in the kid children's curriculum at primary is where we set them up for being able to maintain a healthy way of living. And the, you know, the, the brain's growing, the brain's plastic. Mm-hmm. So if you can get that neural circuitry sorted for mindfulness and gratitude and compassion, they will be formed in the brain when they're fully grown. That'd be an amazing thing. Absolutely. And yeah, like you say, it's, it's not just about, um, helping ourselves feel better is about gratitude for about looking at what is around us and the people around us and being grateful for our existence and the things that we have in our life and looking at what we hold dear and what we can hold dear, what we could hold dear and, um, different ways of, being how life could be for us so yeah it's it's it encompasses so much more doesn't it than just the the sitting i think gratitude comes naturally from mindfulness when you just Mm. start noticing stuff like the smell of the cooking and the flavors you just become more grateful because you you just notice it don't you wow Mm. that's so amazing i really like that yeah yeah yeah. there's a sense of gratitude in there isn't there which wasn't before yeah absolutely Did, did you make um just going back to you know, you were doing this PhD in psychology, you had the kids and you had the breakdown and then you did the mindfulness. Did you make other changes? Was, was there a, What else did you do as well as the mindfulness that, would, that was helpful, do you think? Um, well, the one thing I did do was that I realised I needed something else that could be a form of therapy in my life. And that was when I went off and did my first ever pottery course. Mm. So I booked in um, and did a 10-week course and not only fell in love with making with clay, but actually found the real benefit to myself and my well-being um, by just from just being creative, actually, and being completely absorbed by something. So when when you're making with clay, as in probably like when you're making with anything, you get so absorbed by the activity that everything else goes. You're not worrying about anything. You're not scared of anything. You're not panicking. You're, you're just completely absorbed in the experience. You're in the moment. You are very mindful of everything that you're doing. And that for me, um, was really important. And also to tap back into my creativity, I'd always been a very creative person. But for those 10 years that I was studying, I did an undergraduate, I did a master's, and then I did a postgraduate and had children. I hadn't really spent a lot of that time being creative. And so for me... A lot more cerebral, really. Yeah, it was very cerebral. Which is is what I was about to say. So... What I found was that the university, the academic environment for me, it was a very 
hard man-made structure and environment to be in and you had to really you had to work hard and fight and there's nothing wrong with that I don't have a problem with hard work and you know being really good at what I do but it felt that there was a huge lack of heart and um that there is a place for that everywhere you know and so for me that I never felt like I completely fitted in that environment. And I suppose that's what I was also fighting against. I was pushing myself to be very good in an environment where I wasn't completely whole. And that for me, so there was no heart. So for me, that was probably where a lot of what I experienced came from was I wasn't in the right place. You're sort of cutting yourself off from your source. Yeah, you? absolutely. Yeah. So not being your whole person, there's going to be a price to pay for that. Not being true to your nature. Absolutely. Um, and so for me, making, and especially clay, I mean, I fell in love with clay. If it's possible to do that, I did. <laughs> and you do hear people talking about that, um, falling in love with their medium. You, you, you have, I mean, you, you have a real talent for pottery I and mean, everybody says your pottery is amazing yeah thank you yeah. i mean it's it's yeah i'm at my happiest when i'm in my studio on my wheel making glazing cleaning you know cleaning my studio i'm happy <laughs> doesn't give you anything to do yeah yeah so it is and i think you're very lucky to find it and obviously i my journey was to you know, go to academia so I could come back to my pottery, to come back to pottery and find pottery. Um, and what it's done for me is fantastic. And I have made a little business out of it. Um, and I sell um, all over the world, you know, not massively, but people are, you know, interested. And um, it's exciting where this can take me, you and know. Literally, it's, it's got, you're selling stuff all over the planet. I mean, yeah, and... Um, and I'm just at the beginning of my journey with this. Yeah. That's how I feel. Um, so it's, a, you know, and it's very exciting to think where it could go. So, you know, yeah. And, and you, you, you gave up the academic I completely gave up. I had to. I had a choice to put it on hold or to give it up. And at the time that I had to make that decision, I had just been away in Devon with my family and I'd had my um, first ever thoughts of suicide um, and it was a very dark place and I had two little kids so there was no, it wasn't a choice really. I knew that I had to give it up because how can you put yourself through that if the outcome is killing yourself? So th this this was part of this is after you broke <clears> the two So I'd had my breakdown and this was, this was a few months down the track. And actually, it was quite interesting because I'd become very introspective while we were away, wasn't really talking much to anyone. And it was my partner that actually said to me, are you OK? Are you, yeah, yeah, my partner, John, he said, are you OK? Are you thinking about suicide? And I think he only knew that because of his own experience. He could see that I really wasn't well. Um and it was after that that I found the meditation because obviously I had to do something. So I'd quit the um, quit the PhD. That was the point where I made the decision that I just had to disengage and walk away. Um, 
which it was very hard to do. I'd spent three years working really hard towards it. But um, yeah, I think your own well-being is really important, especially when you've got children. So um, it was kind of easy at the same time to make that decision, hard but easy. And once I'd made it, it was yeah, massive weight off my shoulder. And I thought, actually, I can I can do this. This is going to be tough. And it's a long road, but um, if I do the right things that I need to do, then I should be okay. Did that, how long ago was all this again? Sorry, I know you said So about already. seven years ago. And where, and where would you, how would you describe your current heart state, heart situation? Well, like? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because I do remember the periods during that time where you know so depression can last a long time can last a few years and I think for me it did it lasted you know two to three years possibly and you always wonder how you're going to know that you're okay again how are you going to know and I remember my partner John saying you just know you just know it's like you wake up one day and go oh do you know what I think I'm okay and I just went wow god that's that feels like quite weird, but actually that's exactly how it happened. I just knew one day that I was okay, that I was fine. And even though you, you never quite push yourself in the same way, I don't think you do, or you know the signs now, you read the signs. So I actually consider myself to be fairly happy, which is a really nice feeling. Um, and not that I'm always happy, but that um pretty lucky and like you say grateful to a have experienced it and to have come through it and to have found that um the things that I found through having experienced it the meditation the mindfulness um the fact that I've still got my family around me um and that I found pottery and yeah very grateful for that and the support of all my friends and it's only through experiencing that that you can be grateful for all of those things so yeah, I have a sense of is it contentment of just being okay and more peace, really. Peace, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really nice. With um, with everything now and not, yeah. Do, do you do you find now you've been practicing mindfulness for quite a long time now? Do, do you find yourself more mindful? I'm just wondering, you know, about specifics. How does that manifest in your daily life? If I can ask that. Um. It's interesting because I, I think for me, it comes in, it can come and go. It's something that I'm aware of and it's something that is just then a part of my life and I'm not necessarily thinking about it. Um, but it definitely is um, heightened when I did, um, I went to, and I was a student at a workshop, what for a one day workshop um, with this Japanese master potter very recently and it all came back to me because I was observing him, his practice of making pottery, and it was so mindful. And he was he was mm. um, just in every movement and everything he did. There was just a very thoughtful way of making, and it suddenly brought back to me actually how much of the mindfulness is within my own practice of making and how, but you can forget that sometimes because you get caught up with orders and being busy 
And what that did was it just brought me right back to bringing the mindfulness back into my pottery um, and just slowing everything down. So for me, the mindfulness is about making the space and, and bringing the sort of making the space but and taking the speed out of my day. That's what it is. I see, I think that's what it has become for me now in my life. Um, because I do notice that around me, everyone's so busy. And I just think actually that's not necessarily how I feel I need to be. And that's only come from the mindfulness and the meditation. Because actually, the more um, the more mindful we are, just the more we appreciate what's around us and we don't feel the need to suddenly move on to the next thing. Actually, it's okay about where you are. Um, and the other thing can wait. Or if it doesn't happen at all, then it's fine. It's just about being more okay um, with with what you have around you and how things are turning out and not feeling that we have to rush to the next thing. So one of the things was I've just slowed the speed of my wheel down. It's quite a simple thing. Literally. Literally. It sounds like a wonderful sort of metaphor. Well, yeah. yeah, but I have. I just took my foot off the pedal a bit. And so now when I make a pot, I'm almost doing it at half speed. And that has completely changed my sense of making a pop uh, and this was this was as in because you wanted to slow down mentally or because you thought it'd be more artistic or all of the above? no well all of the above and it was that i think because i've always known about the i've always had the therapy with my pottery the mindfulness of making i've always been very aware of it and but i it was brought more to my attention after this um after observing ken matsuzaki in, in his workshop actually there's a sense of anxiety that can be provoked from when your your wheel is going quite fast and actually to create a beautiful pot you don't want any anxiety what you know you've got to be very for me when you make a pot you put a center part of yourself in that pot it's a part of you so i need that to come from a place of peace and love and um and thoughtfulness really um so actually just lifting my foot up a little bit off the pedal has completely changed that and created that I know but that was it's interesting because I recently wrote an article about that course for a little um magazine from this guild that I'm a member of and that was the one thing that I took away was just being more observant of my studio and the environment in which I make um so experimenting with height so standing on things to give myself a better perspective but also to change the space within my studio where I work creating space and having less clutter around me so I could move in a more free way and more mindful way and not yeah and so it's kind of and the speed at which I do things has slowed down. So it's it's just, it's just felt actually more comfortable. And did this this chap, I don't remember, is it, was he actively <laughs> saying these things? Or was it no, he was just your observations? It was, was observations. It? And was he right, wasn't actively it? saying anything because his um, translator wasn't there that day. Oh, okay. And his English was pretty good, but he, he actually, which actually I thought was more beneficial to other students where we just had to observe there was less language involved. And I've always found that when I've gone on a retreat, 
especially a silent retreat where you've not been able to talk, you are more observant and you notice far more um, than you do when language seems to get in the way sometimes. So actually for us, I think that was a real treat, not having the translator there. So we just had to watch. Really lovely. And I think that's what brought the mindfulness. Just It just sort of came back really quickly because it was suddenly almost like we were on a silent retreat workshop. It just felt very, yeah, it was, it was very beautiful, that whole experience, actually. So, yeah, so it has, it's kind of really, yeah, really mm. brought it right back into my practice. Like, I'm very aware of it now. Every time I step into my studio since then, it's, I'm very aware of that feeling of, um, and everything, things taking its time. And if I've got to do something, it's like, well, that's fine. I'll do that. And then I'll go on to the next thing when I finish rather than I've got to do that and I've got to do that and I've got to do that, it's which it sometimes feel like it can be, especially getting closer to Christmas. And actually, you just think, well, no, it's fine. It'll, you know, it'll happen when it when it happens, which is <laughs> a really nice way of making, actually. Oh, you mentioned doing silent retreats. Where, where, yeah. So I, I did my first... Uh, retreat in the Isle of Wight actually it was just a long weekend retreat and only part of it was silent and um, that was my first ever retreat and um, I think I really appreciate the silent part of it so much that I then came home and immediately tried to find a silent retreat that was just all about the silence and I did I found a place in Devon called Gaia House you might have heard of it and um it was a week and I'd never done a silent retreat. So a week felt like a long time, but I actually felt I really needed to do it. <clears throat> and it was time away from my responsibilities as a parent, a time away from my responsibilities as a loving partner. And, you know, as a mother in a house, I had just time out, just not to think about anything other than... And John was supportive. <clears throat> yeah, he was really yeah. supportive. Mm-hmm. And we're quite lucky because his family live in Devon. So... He could go and have a holiday with the kids while I could just um, work on a few things. (laughs) And um, actually, the silence was incredible for me. Um, I think um, as an adult, I'd spent a lot of time on my own before I found my partner, John. And um, I've always quite... It's not that I've really enjoyed my own company, but I've always been okay with my own company and my own thoughts. So it didn't feel like a huge um, thing really for me to have to do, be on my own with my own thoughts. It felt like something that I really needed to come back to. Something natural to you. Yeah, and I I hadn't done it for a long time. So I felt, I actually felt this sense of, I know this place and I'm really looking forward to going, even though I'd never been there before. It did feel really really familiar. Yeah. And um, I didn't, I arrived and I didn't really speak to anyone, even though it wasn't, hadn't happened, hadn't started yet, the silent retreat. And um, what was brilliant about this one retreat is that you had a meal and then it's, then you went into silence and you, you meditated and went to silence. And I hadn't spoken to anyone and I sat down to eat my meal and it was a bowl of this lovely soup. And this woman sat down opposite me. And I still didn't, hadn't spoken to anyone yet. And I said, okay, we're just about to go into silence after this meal. So I kind of think I just need to say hello to you (laughs) and find out a little bit about you. And then I've touched base with someone and then I'm going to be silent. 
And um, the funny thing was, is that um, we were chatting and then I found out her name was Rachel. My name is Rachel. And then I found out she lived in Brighton and I live in Brighton. <laughs> and then we both were just blown away by that. <laughs> um, and then after the meal, we went into silence. But what was so lovely about connecting with her before the week of silence was that I felt I had someone that I could look at and smile at, that I had a connection with. And, and I had a friend. Um, and even though I didn't see her all the time, she was someone I did sometimes look out for. And actually, I noticed when she wasn't there for a couple of days and I was a bit worried. But obviously, she's an adult and, you know, she can look after herself. And at the end of the um, week session, when you get together and you have a big group meeting about how it went, it actually transpired that she'd found it too much and buggered off to the local village and had some egg and chips and... <laughs> just had some time out which I thought was brilliant and I just say oh okay because I did worry about you <laughs> I did notice that you weren't there and she was felt quite touched that someone had noticed she wasn't there um but I transgressed so the thing for me about the silence was that throughout the week you could go and talk to one of your teachers if you needed to um which I did make use of the mindfulness was this was a And obviously when stuff came up for me, I did go and talk to my teachers about it. Um, just to touch base with someone and actually verbally say about how I'd been feeling and what had been going on. Um, but I didn't need to do that all the time. And the one thing at the end of the retreat, um, there was a meal and you could talk at this meal but then you go back into silence for the rest of the day and then you come out of silence but actually what I found was that I didn't want to talk at that meal I felt that I wasn't ready to come out of the silence so you didn't have to so I took my meal off and I ate on my own um but one thing I did notice at that meal when I was coming to get a cup of tea was how suddenly unobservant people were this is what I was talking about before. Um, so during the week when I'd made a cup of tea at the table that's set up for you with the fridge, because you weren't talking, people would be aware of what you were doing. So if they noticed you were <clears throat> taking your tea bag out, if they had the milk, they'd leave the milk on the table for you because they could see that that's the next step that you were about to take, um, which was really lovely because people are noticing and they notice what you're doing and they're being helpful. <laughs> but what I noticed was once people were talking and you were at the table making a cup of tea, they finished with the milk and they just put it away. But you were at the same point before. You needed the milk, but they just hadn't noticed. So that was a real moment for me. It was, I suppose it was one of the profound moments where you suddenly go, God, language just gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, language comes and suddenly people don't notice anymore. And so I've kind of have thought about trying to in introduce silence into the house with my children but I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that, <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah I think that might last all of five seconds <laughs> because that's such an important lesson obviously it took me to the ripe old age of 40 actually even you know a bit earlier to learn but um how actually we don't always need words it is sometimes about 
Um, so, so yeah, so I took a lot from that and, um, I haven't done a retreat since, but I know that, that I will do more retreats. But at the moment for me, when I go away now, it's more about the learning, the pottery, which for me is a kind of retreat anyway, because I'm going away on my own. Um, the next one is completely on my own away for quite a few days. So traveling on my own staying on my own and for me that is a sense of retreat anyway because I have a lot of time in my own head to think about my practice and everything else that comes up so I'll have time to meditate I'll have time to walk by the beach and do a walking meditation so I'm going to St Ives in Cornwall (laughs) in the middle of winter which I think will be really amazing (laughs) Yeah, yeah So, um, so those are the times where I really sort of try and build in the meditation, um, when I can be completely on my own and use that time to sort of take a step back and check in and find that space for my own mindfulness and spirituality practice that, you know, can sometimes get lost in a busy life, you know? So I'm I'm interested, just just going back a bit as well to sort of almost politicize things that you're you know, seeing these metaphors again, you know, it's, it's interesting you're saying when everybody's in silence, they were very well connected and they were considerate of each other. <laughs> as soon as they started talking, they suddenly weren't. And you think that's quite a good, nice metaphor for the world. You know, we have this very damaged world where people mm. aren't mindful and they're not considerate of each other. And you kind of wonder, you know, at the risk of sounding really idealistic, if we could all be a bit more mindful, maybe we could have a bit more connection and oh, God. peace and love in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think... Um, we live in a very noisy age. There's noise all the time. It's not just language, it's it's everything. There's just noise. And I think that really distracts and takes you away from the mindfulness and the thoughtfulness. Um, and people get really upset and agitated by noise. I know that because I know I've experienced that myself. Um, so yeah, if we can remove a lot of that, I think we would be a lot calmer and we could be more mindful and it could really help definitely and, i think it's worth pointing out this, this is something that goes through all traditions it's not just the mindfulness meditation tradition all the major religions religions mention i think it's psalm 46 or something that says something like be still and know that i'm god mm. you know all the mm. big saints in all the traditions talk about silence as something really mm. worthy and holy and spiritual absolutely well it is because there is um there's a connection to something isn't there we were um out walking the other day with this dog that we're looking after and we went up the road to a local park and by the park is this big field near the woods and um my youngest and I and John were throwing the ball for the dog and chatting and walking and <laughs> my eldest daughter just went and lay down on the grass and looked up at the sky it was night time, so there were lots of stars in the sky. But she was very happy doing that, and she was quite happy to be there. Didn't want to join in and didn't want to go home. I haven't yet asked her what she was doing, because actually I probably know what she was doing, and she was just enjoying looking up at the vastness of the sky and the space and just lying on the ground, feeling grounded, but also very connected to this big old world out there. That's what I imagine. I don't know, but... You know, we all feel that at some point, don't we, in our life, whatever age, that sort of need to feel connected or feel 
grounded and observe in the silence. And it wasn't, there was no traffic, it was later at night. We weren't being that noisy, there wasn't hardly anyone around. And it's actually the perfect time to really have that sense of calm and peace and connectedness. Um, but yeah, it is, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch when your children behave in those ways, because actually I think it's, it, it then suggests that it's actually innate and it's something that we have lost touch with. Um, I'd agree, yeah. yeah. And so like that quote, it's about not finding ourselves because we're not lost, it's about returning to. And I think with this sense of this noisy life that we live in, it's a sense of returning to the silence and not that we have to not, it's not that we need to just stop talking to each other, it's just that we need to listen. No, and I, I think it's important to point out, you know, there is physical silence, which is important, but also what you're referring to is a sense of inner silence, that yeah. silence where you can notice things, you can notice the richness of your world, of the smells from the cooking and the pottery and the clay, and mm. that doesn't happen with intense internal noise, does it? No, not at all, and I was really... Sometimes I'm really surprised because there are other people in the building where I work who create in their studio and they have music on or the radio on. And I'm always just really surprised because I just think, really, how are you actually even attending to that? Is it just background noise that you're not even aware of because you're so absorbed by your task? Or are you really listening, which means you're not then really focused on your task? And I can't work it out because I, I've never, I've tried it. I can't do it. I just have to be in my studio myself. And or or, or listen to the really nice music. Yeah, not two, yeah, but not the two together. And um, I did actually speak to my students in the class about it because someone else ran a pottery work workshop in our studios and they had music on. And I approached the students in my class saying, oh, this is really interesting. Someone was playing music to their students in this other class. Um, do you feel we need music? Because I've never wanted to play it. And they all looked at me and went, no, no, no. The clay is the music, of course. You know, why would we need music when we can just be completely absorbed by what we're doing? And, you know, this is the music for me, um, which was great. So my students were reflecting back to me, my feelings about how I, you know, about the clay and making and the whole process and the practice. So that was really nice um, to hear that come back to me. Because um, things like that do puzzle me. <laughs> it's, it's funny, I remember going trekking in the high Himalayas in Nepal and seeing people with their headphones and yeah. listening to music. And you think, you're in the Himalayas. It's a lifetime <laughs> opportunity. It's the most stunning countryside yeah. in the planet. Yeah. And you're listening to, yeah, possibly amazing music, but I don't yeah. know. Maybe but maybe it is maybe people are giving themselves a soundtrack to their life experiences yeah whatever yeah. that means to them but even even walking up um to the hill fort up on to the beginning of the downs here with the dog and i see people walking their dogs with headphones on and i look at them and i go really <laughs> or they're on their phone and i go really <laughs> but look at where we are look at this view and you're with the dog and you're interacting no you're not interacting with the dog because you're on the phone or you know there's kind of like an element of we're removing ourselves from our experiences by doing that to me there is to them maybe they're enhancing their experience so it's I guess it's how you observe how you feel about it or what it means to you but for me it's definitely I want to be there experiencing it 
not being distracted from it. I was talking to somebody recently who's working for in a charity which is particularly aimed at mental health for teenagers, and he was saying one of the issues they have is that because people are often on Facebook, on their phone, playing games, watching television, doing this multitasking, and apparently neurologically it's incredibly toxic, and generally the mm. end result is extreme anxiety. Yeah. So there's a sort of a chain of neuro events that ends up in extreme anxiety from this too much engagement with sensory mm. um, overload, if you like. So. Mm. Yeah, no, I've definitely heard that. And there's also this sense of missing out. If they're not on social media, then they're missing out on something to do with their friends. And that is anxiety provoking. If they can't find their phone or they're not with their phone, then they're missing out. Therefore, they become anxious, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting mic. The mics are disappearing. Again. They lead a life of their own, these microphones. <laughs> yes. They're unmindful, unmindful microphones. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it is interesting. And that's, again, another reason for getting my kids involved in mindfulness on a, in, a, in, you know, in their everyday lives because they haven't yet got phones. Um, we've held off. But that will come, I imagine. Would would you consider doing some sort of formal teacher training for kids for mindfulness? That would be amazing. Um, there would be. Um, Not that you necessarily need it, but I'm just. No, I mean, you teach more kids. Yeah, you? I mean, if there was, I don't know. Is there such a thing? Yeah, there's loads. Yeah, is there loads? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it definitely be something I would consider. Um, maybe when a an element of of space opens up in my life. <laughs> um, six minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I just listed all the things that I do with my life the other day to my partner and went, oh my God, actually, if I do all that, do I, I don't, do I sleep? Do I sleep really? <laughs> do I do yeah. some of this in my sleep? <laughs> yeah. that, that, that takes 27 hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, nine um, days. <laughs> I would love to do that because it isn't just about my kids, but at least if I start with my kids, then there's an element of, you know, some children knowing about mindfulness, which already. And I'm now actually really mindful of the time and the fact that I have to feed my children. <laughs> yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. No, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, I think that's been really amazing to hear your um, your journey from a really sound really what sounded like a really quite bad place to mm. like really quite remarkable you know to the the mindfulness and the sense of peace and the pottery and the changes you've made and the support you've had it's, it's, i think it's a really lovely story so thank you so much oh. for sharing that no well thank yeah. you and yeah, it is um it, well when it has a sort of happy ending it's quite nice yeah. to share <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> we like happy endings yay yeah no thank brilliant alright lovely that's awesome cheers so we'll bring that to a close now Whee. thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed that and if you did please tune in for more bye mm.